There are also two different seats that are presented. In the judgment of the unrighteous, the unrighteous stand before the great white throne of judgment. You read that in the book of Revelation. Here, the judgment seat is called the judgment seat of Christ. And there's a different reason why we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 14, here's what Paul tells the church of Corinth. He says, on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. Somebody say a reward. A reward. So the moment the righteous stand before Christ and we're being judged, it's not to be condemned for sins done because that's all covered by the blood of Jesus. We are being judged to receive a reward of the things we've done for Christ in this life. That phrase, judgment seat of Christ, comes from the Greek word that is the word bima. Somebody say bima. Theologians refer to the judgment seat of Christ also as the bima seat of Christ. And the bima comes from ancient Greek culture that refers to a platform officials use to give a public address. It's also used as in reference to in the Olympics, which originated in Greece, as the runners would be running around the track, there would be a judge standing at the finish line on the Bema platform, and he would determine who is the winner of the race and the subsequent placeholders. And as he determines who's the winner, he also gets to determine and award the prizes to those who were competing in the race. So when we stand before the judgment or the Bema seat of Christ, it's to be rewarded for how we performed in the spiritual race we now run between now and the time of resurrection, between the time of eternity. When we stand before Christ, he'll reveal the works that we've done for him in this life, and he'll give us a reward based on those efforts for all eternity. That's why Jesus, in Matthew 6, 19 through 20, he says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where the thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in where? In heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through to steal. Because all of our sin is gone. Every bit of our sin is gone through Christ's death and resurrection and our acceptance of his gift through repenting and turning to Christ in faith. All that is left to judge are our works of righteousness the things we do for the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 4, this is what Peter tells the church. He says, when the great shepherd appears, when you stand and see Jesus face to face, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. And if you do a study, there are multiple crowns that we receive, a crown of glory, a crown of life, and others. We stand before Christ to receive from Christ the reward due to every good and faithful servant. When we see Jesus either in death or in the resurrection, he'll meet us with rewards in tow. And the amazing thing is when we get to heaven, when we see Jesus face to face, and we come into the full realization of not only who he is, but what he's done. Paul, to the church of Corinth, he told the church, and I think it's 1 Corinthians 12 or 13, he says, we see through a glass darkly. We don't have full knowledge now. We just have a glimpse of what there is to know about God. But when we see him face to face, we will have full knowledge. I mean, think about the love of God you understand now. That is only a portion of what it really is. 
What we are going to experience in heaven will be unlike anything we could put into words. The full realization of his goodness, his mercy, his sacrifice, his peace, his love, his joy, his holiness. And when we experience that and we receive our reward, the reason why we receive reward is not to have eternal heavenly greed and how much we can accumulate. There's a different reason why that we receive this reward and the the different attitude we will have when we see Jesus face to face. We get a glimpse of this in Revelation 4, 10 through 11. In Revelation 4, verse 10, it says, The 24 elders fell down and worshipped the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they laid their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. Storing up treasure in heaven, working for reward in this life, is not about eternal greed. We don't give a cup of cold water to the thirsty so that we can have a larger heavenly bank account than the next follower of Christ. We don't see if we can get more reward than the next person. So eternity, we have something to gloat about or to, uh, to be prideful about. It's not about uh, the more I can get, uh, the, the more I can show off. The reason why we store up treasure in heaven is about the more I can give back to the Lord for what He has done for me. In my full realization of who God is, I will desire to withhold nothing I have but to worship him for all he is and all he's done. There's a popular Christian song called I Can Only Imagine, which says, I can only imagine when the day comes and I find myself standing in the sun. I can only imagine when all I will do is forever, forever worship you. When I stand before Jesus, I will have no thought for myself, but every thought about what he's done, and I will desire to lay down everything at his feet for all that he has done for me. Paul told the church, he said, all our works will be tried, and what makes it through the fire, we will receive a reward. And when I think about this heavenly treasure, when I get to heaven and I receive a reward, I don't want to be ashamed at having just a little to lay down at his feet. I don't want to look at what anyone else is giving and think, man, I wish I had more to give. I want to give truckloads of treasure to the Lord. I want for all eternity to be able to say, God, here's more. Have more. Come on, take it all. You gave all to me. I give all to you. This is my heart's desire. And I believe it should be the heart's desire of every believer in Christ. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When we stand before Jesus, the beam of seat and are rewarded for everything that we've done. In worship, we will want to give God as much as we can for all eternity for who he is. And I don't want to run out of heavenly treasure, because eternity is a long time. Eternity is a really long time. In worship, we'll respond to his goodness by laying our rewards at his feet, and he is worthy for every bit of it. So that's before the resurrection. What happens after the resurrection? 
Because we have to keep in mind there is a prophetic timeline. There are things that are going to happen in the future, and we're not going to get into all of the the issues of the Great Tribulation or what God's going to do to pour judgment out on the earth, but we're going to look at just the resurrection, what happens in eternity after the resurrection, because there will be a day when God raises the righteous dead from the earth and also the righteous living. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15, and 17 gives the account of the event It says, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves, and then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and then we will be with the Lord forever. There is a day where Jesus is going to return. And when he returns, the clouds are going to roll back like a scroll. The whole world is going to be in awe. The shout and the trumpet sound is going to be declared. The graves of the righteous are going to break open. Their bodies are going to fly up into the sky. And those of us who are still alive on that day are going to meet Jesus in the clouds to be with him forever and forever. And in that moment, when we stand before Jesus, we'll receive our reward and we'll spend eternity with Christ. Titus 2.13 says, Looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what we're hoping for. As we're, as we're looking at salvation and that day of redemption, this is the moment when the clouds open and we meet Jesus face to face. This is the great day. Uh, this is referred to by many different terms, but the return of Christ is our blessed hope. In a singular moment, Something happens, and we all are changed forever and forever. And not only are we resurrected, and not only do we get to all sing together, I believe I can fly, you know, as we go up into the sky. I really believe that's what we're going to be singing, holding hands together. But when we see Jesus face to face, not only will we be rewarded, but in 1 Corinthians 15, 52 through 53, it says, It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, When the last trumpet is blown, for when that trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die, and our mortal bodies will be transformed into immortal bodies. How many are ready for your dying body to be changed into a body that will never die? Sometimes it just is not very fun to be a human being. When you wake up and you don't realize you were sleeping funny and half your body's asleep and then for the rest of the day you're kind of walking like a drunk zombie. You know, it just the body doesn't function the way you want. It doesn't matter how many calories I cut, I breathe a pizza and I gain five pounds. You know, there, there are things about life that just aren't fun. There will be a day when we wrestle with that no more. No more. What a glorious day. The day of the resurrection. Those that died will receive a new eternal body. Those who are living will have their current body transformed into an eternal body free of sin. Imagine a life free of sin. Never to have a selfish or self-centered thought again. Never to lose your temper or to get frustrated because of uh, an issue or point of pride. I can't even wrap my mind around that. But that day is coming. And from this moment on, both the previous dead who are now alive and the current living righteous will live with Jesus forever. He'll set foot 
on the earth and set up his kingdom and we will reign with him. Now, this is where I believe many get confused about eternity and what eternity will be like. Because for many of us, when we talk about going to heaven, we instantly think about the spiritual heaven where God is now. That we pass away and we go to heaven and we're going to be in that, that place with God forever and forever and forever where God is presently. But spiritual heaven is not our eternal resting place. That is not what the Bible reveals as eternity or heaven for us. Spiritual heaven where God is now is a temporary dwelling until a specific moment in the prophetic future, the prophetic timeline after Jesus returns. So to understand uh, what God really intends for us for eternity, we need to, and what we're going to be experiencing, we need to remember the most famous prayer that has ever been prayed. It's called the Lord's Prayer. It's found in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. Many of you can probably quote this from heart. Uh, The verse will be on the screen. I want us to read this together. It's in the King James Version. But here's Jesus' prayer. In verse 9, it says, After this manner, therefore pray ye, let's pray together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy earth will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, when we read this verse, we instantly think Jesus is giving us a demonstration of how we should pray, how we should um, approach the Lord and things that should be on our heart. But the key to understanding eternity and what God is going to accomplish in the resurrection and forever after, the key is found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. In Matthew 6, verse 10, Jesus says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? In earth, as it is in heaven. See, the purpose of the end time plan of God is to bring the kingdom of God from heaven to earth. This was the original intention of why Adam and Eve were planted in the garden. They were perfect. They were sinless. They had a relationship with God. The glory of God covered their nakedness. And God gave them a job. He said to fill the earth, be fruitful and multiply it, because God wanted his glory that rested on Adam and Eve to spread globally. This was his original intention. This was the thing. He's going to flip it. He's going to flip the house. You know, he's, he's going to do this amazing thing. The earth is going to be free from the laws of entropy, death, and destruction. There's going to be new topography, new geology, new astronomy and space. All things will become new. We're not going to have seen or experienced anything like it. In our eternal dwelling place, our true heavenly home, the place Jesus in John 14 says he's going to prepare for us that when he comes again, he'll receive us to himself and we'll be with him forever, is on this new earth. And it's a massive structure that comes out of heaven and rests upon the newly renovated earth. Revelation 21, 2 through 4, John writes this, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. 
There'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Somebody shout hallelujah. 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 Praise the name of the Lord. Not only are we going to dwell in this holy city of God, but when God makes all things new, he's going to do away with abuse, any and every dysfunction and evil in the world will be gone. It's gone. In Jerusalem, the word Jerusalem means city of peace. City of peace. The new Jerusalem, the holy city, is filled with God's peace because it will be filled with his manifest presence. It will dwell physically on the earth where we will dwell physically on the earth in our resurrected bodies, eternal bodies with God for all eternity. The spiritual heaven is not our home. This is our home with God forever. This will be physically experienced by all of God's people for all eternity. I want to read the description of the holy city, which is our true home for you today. I want you to, to envision what, God, what John, through God's uh, inspiration, is describing for us. And I want you to become homesick. Because part of the dysfunction in believers and Christians, as we've married this world, and we've become adopted into this place, and we have aligned ourselves with the manners and customs of this world that one day will be no more. And if we could realign our hearts with our true home and become homesick, that's going to help make some transformation in the way we live, think, and believe here and now. In Revelation 21, beginning in verse 10, here's the vision of the new Jerusalem that John saw. It says, So he took me into the Spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper as clear as crystal. A city wall was broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. And the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the angel who talked with me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates and its wall. When he measured it, he found it was a square as wide as it was long. In fact, its length, width, and height were each 1,400 miles. In case you don't know how long that is, that's the distance between Flint, Michigan, and Austin, Texas. Long, wide, Massive, massive. Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, according to the human standard used by the angel. The wall was made of jasper, the city of pure gold, clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth barrel, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl, and the main street was pure gold as clear as glass. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple, 
and the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In eternity, heaven truly invades the earth. Heaven and earth become one, as God originally intended. And when heaven invades earth, God's kingdom will have come and his will will be done for all eternity on earth as it is in heaven. And we will live in the presence of God to be overwhelmed by his love and joy forever. And even though this is in the distant future. We don't know when this is going to happen. The Bible gives us signs of how we can discern the times and we can see maybe the things are beginning to unfold. But that is sometime in the future. But the amazing thing is, is we don't have to wait to experience a glimpse of that reality when we die or after the resurrection. In Romans 5.5, Paul tells the church, This hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. The love that we'll experience in eternity is the same love we can experience in the here and now as God wants to fill your heart and your life with his love in this present moment. In Romans 8, 23, it says, We believers groan that though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Until the day we are made completely new, we've not fully experienced what all God has to offer yet. But in the present Because of the present reality of the Holy Spirit within us, we can experience a glimpse, have a taste of the presence and power of that future in the here and now through pursuing and seeking a life filled with the Holy Spirit. The life Christ desires us to live, the true abundant life. God's desire for us as citizens of heaven is not just to experience the goodness of God for ourselves, But so through the Holy Spirit, we can truly help heaven invade earth in the here and now so that those who are far from God can be drawn into the kingdom of God through trusting Jesus Christ, but what they see and experience in our lives. Luke 17, 20, 21, Jesus said, when will the kingdom, or Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs, You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. Another translation says, it's already in you. There will be a day where heaven comes to earth, but until then, the kingdom of God exists, but exists in every believer. Until heaven touches earth in eternity, the only way for the kingdom of God to be experienced by those outside the kingdom is if those in the kingdom who have the Holy Spirit, let the kingdom that is in them come out of them. To let what's in you be poured out unto other people. You see, it's easier to get someone into the kingdom than it is to get the kingdom out of them. 
It's easier to lead someone to pray a prayer of faith to begin a relationship with God. It's far more difficult because it takes far more faith to encourage someone to release the Spirit in their lives to pour out on other people, to encourage them to reach out outside of themselves to bless other people. But Paul in 1 Corinthians 4.20, he says, the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. The Christian life is not about theological arguments, statements, facts, and history. It's about living in the present reality of the Spirit of God that's been given to us, that not only can we get a taste of the kingdom, but so that we can provide a taste of the kingdom for those we come in contact with. As Christians, we want to talk a lot about the kingdom rather than call the kingdom down from heaven to the earth rather than putting our faith into action. And I'm not just talking about the miraculous. I'm simply talking about remaining conscious of the voice of the Spirit and conscious of the lost and dying around you and making yourself available 24-7 for the Spirit of God to use you to open the door of the kingdom to those around you. And that comes in different shapes and sizes, but we should be pursuing Him with all that we are. Jesus asked us to pray, for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, not so that we can speed up the process, but so our hearts will come into alignment with his and we'll pursue a life lived for his honor and glory, fulfilling that very prayer, that through our lives, the kingdom of God would flow down to us, in us, and then be poured out of us. As we pray for the sick, as we prophesy to the discouraged, as we be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. God wants us to be focused on being the conduit of the Spirit to unleash heaven on earth. You see, the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. Now, Jesus often confused people he spoke to because when he revealed aspects of the kingdom, they didn't get it because it didn't mesh with our reality. You see, in the kingdom of God, you don't find your life by holding on to your life. You find your life by giving up your life. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will find it. You gain blessing through giving, not receiving. You find healing from your, for your soul through forgiving, not through taking revenge. You bless and pray for your enemies. You turn the other cheek. You lay hands on the sick and you prophesy futures to change legacies. You preach the simple gospel to confound the wisdom and wise of the, wor of the world. In order to become the greatest in the kingdom, you must make yourself the lowest servant. Take the lowest position to find the greatest platform. We walk by faith, not by sight. You see, the kingdom of God does not look like the way the world looks. And God wants to unleash that kingdom that's in us into the world. What would this world look like if Christians stopped living like the world and we started living like heaven? What if our obsessions were heavenly and not worldly? What if we were consumed with manifesting Jesus everywhere we go? so that the Spirit of God could invade our community? What might the world look like if citizens of the kingdom created kingdom culture in the here and now? See, I'm a firm believer that Jesus desires us, born-again believers, to be culture creators, not culture imitators. We are to be culture creators and not culture imitators. We are to rise up and so saturate our communities with the love, the hope, the generosity and faith of God that people wouldn't want to accept anything else. That if 
life were a river and the power of God would be flowing so mightily. No one would want to fight against the stream, but all would want to flow in the Holy Spirit. You see, church, when we think about reality, we think about heaven and eternity, we have an, an amazing future ahead of us. Amen? We have an amazing future ahead of us. But you know what? Jesus came that we may have life and life more abundantly. We can have an amazing presence and enjoy the glory of the age to come in the present if we would just surrender ourselves to the Lord. Seek to be filled with His Holy Spirit. Walk in extreme faith and unleash the love of God on those around us. You know, there's an old gospel song, a hymnal, a hymn in the hymnal uh, called When We All Get to Heaven. And you might have heard it. You might be familiar with it. It says, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. And I feel and I believe in my spirit that many believers were holding on to that vision of heaven. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. The problem with this song is that it's theologically inaccurate. Not everyone's going to get to spiritual heaven. Some will just meet Christ in the air and come right back down as he sets up his kingdom. You see, the song should say, when heaven comes to earth, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. And you know, heaven can come to earth every time we walk in faith and obey the Lord. Every time we love someone and tell someone and pray for someone and demonstrate his goodness and demonstrate his generosity, heaven can invade earth. And I believe God's desire for us is that until that day comes, when we see the holy city descend out of heaven and touch the ground, we're to be paving the way and preparing the landscape of this world for that day to come. Our hearts need a pulse with God's as we endeavor to join Jesus in his prayer. Father, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we pray heaven would invade earth and that you would begin by invading this place. You'd invade our hearts, you'd invade our lives, you'd invade our families, our friends, our neighborhoods, our communities, our sphere of influence, place we work, that our whole region would operate according to your kingdom values. As we, your church, begin to shift culture through the power of your mighty spirit, that this place would reflect the kingdom as we prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. God, I pray for everyone in this place, for every believer, God, that you would place a homesickness in their heart. And you'd wake them up to the reality that we can, we can treat that homesickness by letting home come and overflow in our lives into the lives of other people. As we live in that foretaste of future glory, God, I pray for the one here that they're still unsure about whether you really love them. That they don't know if they were to die today, if they would get to be with you forever, God. That there's still things in their life that they're not sure that you could truly forgive. God, I pray right now in Jesus' name, Lord, that Holy Spirit, you would just touch them. you wrap them up like a warm blanket. You'd fill them from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet, God. 
that your peace would fill their heart and mind, God. And when we stand and for a time of response and for singing and for prayer, God, that they would leave their seat and come down front to pray. That they would meet me down front, God. And they would make the decision to invite you in so that they can know that beyond a shadow of a doubt that their sins are forgiven. That heaven would truly come to this place today. In Jesus' name. God, I pray for those who are sick and need of healing. God, that your healing power would overflow in this place. And as we pray, God, that you release that power from heaven. God, I pray for those who need a breakthrough in their life and in their relationships and their emotions, Lord, that you would even begin ministering to their hearts right now. But for the next few moments, God, as we just go into a time of response and prayer and worship, that you administer to all of us and you work in power in Jesus' name. Amen.